Welcome to episode 73 of Contested Catch. This is our season finale of season two. But don't worry, we'll be back soon to cover the NFL draft and offseason moves. So stay tuned. Uh, Just a short layoff there. But we are wrapping up with a bang. We're going to be taking a look at some teams in particular uh, that are not in the big game, but obviously also the big game, plus best bets and props. And I'm very thankful to be joined by some awesome guests for our audience that they should surely recognize because we've had them on in the past. But first, as always, welcome back to our main man. He is shirted today, folks. I know we always get questions about that, but he is wearing clothing in his upper body. That's Jeff Gould, of course. Jeff, how are you, my friend? Uh, pretty solid, Will. Uh, yeah, Heat's been a little little in and out given with the uh, you know corner, corner room and snow this year. So yeah, got to put on a jacket sometimes. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. So today we have two longtime friends of the show, two great friends in general who love football. They are, of course, Backdoor Burt and Bronny Betts. That is Brett Singer and Jabron Ahmed. We'll start with you, Jibby. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well, Brett. Good to see you, Jeff. Will, how you doing? <laughs> I'm living large, gentlemen. Good stuff. I'm glad to have you. Live, living large, but with a tiny new puppy. Is that correct? That is correct, Jeff. We weren't trying to let the public know about that just yet. But, you know, I'm not trying to make one of my daughter one of these social media stars. But yes, <laughs> I did get a new puppy. Her name is Lulu. Absolute cutie. She's right here as my co-pilot for this pod. As promised, one of our guests for today's segment is, of course, our very own backdoor Bert, Brett Singer. Brett, it's been a long time since you've been on the show, but we are happy to finally have you back. How are you, my friend? I'm good. It's been, what, a year now? The last time was the soup was last Super Bowl? I guess so, yeah. It's probably fair. I had the worst fantasy season of my entire <laughs> life, so I, your listeners would have hated me this year. So, And, and how, how have things been in this past year for you? Outside of the of the uh, NFL slash fantasy world, they've been good. Um, you know, life life's been good, work's been good, all things considered. Been a crazy year. Actually, that's pretty wild to think about. The last time I was on here, what the world looked like then. Um, but other than that, uh, the Sixers look awesome. Got to plug them right now. Everybody should tune in and watch Joel MVP tear it up. He's uh, <laughs> Just one Eastern Conference player of the month, best record in the East. Something bad is bound to happen because it's the Sixers, but we're we're enjoying the uh, the run for now. Benny Simmons has had a, a better run in the last like two or three games or so uh, after basically <laughs> struggling to put up you know double digit points. We got uh, uh, we got Will. There? <laughs> My thoughts are we got Mister. I hate the NBA. Everybody travels. Will Believer. <laughs> he uh, was itching for some more fantasy sports so we got him to join our fantasy basketball league he's decided to punt free throws and ben simmons and Giannis are, are leading his team so definitely the uh the contrarian style of play but we would expect nothing less jeff on the other hand i don't know if we'll ever get to play fantasy basketball but it's been fun so far I did well i did play my first i played my first fantasy baseball season this year so and you won I did win. Yes, <laughs> he he beat it for. Is that for the, surprising for the longtime <laughs> listeners? He beat my team, which was owned by me and Michael Kazor, my arch nemesis. We decided to team up, and it, all things considered, it was a success. But Jeff got hot at the right time. I did. I've I like three weeks into the season, actually learned how to manage a baseball team, and 
you know, spam the starting pitchers for like the short week rotations yep. and yeah, hit a hot groove. So, uh, uh, NBA, I would fancy NBA. I'd probably be so far behind. I mean, you saw my reaction to that Nets trade for Harden. I didn't even know who the player was. And you guys were like, dude, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> my reaction funny. is just, yeah. who uh, is, what's his name? Karis Levert. Yeah, he who, he who is, really yeah, my, my reaction to the trade was go to Google, who is Karis Levert? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've enjoyed playing NBA uh, fantasy. Have you watched any games? Hardly at all, to be honest. And yet, I have still had so much fun. Uh, and you know, part of it is that, like, if I'm if I see an NBA game is on TV, I'm like, oh, I probably, you know, I probably have a guy on that team, so I'm kind of like just tuning in. You know, the Bucks are always on. It feels like so. I'm like, oh, Giannis is the centerpiece of my fantasy team. It's kind of like, you know new fantasy football players when they get when they start watching on sunday they get a taste of it so that's what exactly. i've gotten i haven't quite adopted watching the nba i've been busy but still it's been fun and I've, i think i've done pretty well so far yeah so, um, we, we tied last week last nba thing i, I want to say i have fred van vliet on my team he just put up 54 points for the raptors most ever by geez. an undrafted player in nba history so fred van yeet okay so we are going to kick it off first by wrapping up the season for a few of our teams here, and we'll start with our hometown team, the Bills. And so in case you missed it, in case you've been missing, uh, living under a, a rock or in a coma for the last couple of weeks, it was a heartbreaking loss to the Kansas City Chiefs, but an amazing season that sets the team up for a future as a contender in the AFC and the current king of the AFC East, wink, wink, Jabron. I think the biggest disappointment of the game was by far the decision-making from our head coach, Sean McDermott who deviated from the aggressive play-to-win philosophy that got us to this point to the AFC Championship in the first place. And so, you know, just to summarize that a little bit, we kicked two field goals from fourth and goal, the two and three yard lines. Um, and all those those decisions, if changed, may not have won us the game. I really wish we had lost playing to win and taking risks rather than trying to play not to lose, watching the Chiefs pull away like we know they're all, oh so capable of. Um, Jeff. McDermott's aggressive decision-making was a key point we discussed in the AFC Championship game preview. It's something we've talked about all season. It's something that he's done exceptionally well in his tenure with the Bills since his first year or since the, his first year ended. Um, and, you know, in episode 72, it was the fifth point of my five keys to beating the Chiefs, the only offensive point among those five. And I said it was as important as the other four combined. And this was, you know, we need an explosive offense with aggressive decision-making playing to win. Um, and so I think that this change came out of nowhere. I don't think anyone expected that. If anything, I thought it would be more aggressive trying to win against the better team. Uh, what do you think caused this change in decision-making? And are you hopeful that we'll get back to our ways by next season? Um, I think, uh, not so much for the first decision, but the, the decision to kick it going to halftime. I think I was basically just like, uh, you know what? We're overmatched. Let's just, you know, lose less ugly. Like, it's honestly, I think, kind of what that was. And he says, like, yeah, I just wanted to get some points under the scoreboard before going to half. And, um, but, you know, when Mahomes is getting the ball, just if, if the Bills were getting the ball to start the second half, I think it's a different discussion. But when you're kicking a field goal and then Mahomes is still getting the ball, like, you're, you're losing four points most likely. Or you, you should still be, like, having the mindset that, you know, we – are giving up five and a half points next possession and we need to touch down. So I think it was at, least at that point, it was just like, a, you know what, we're overmatched. Let's just 
lose as less ugly as possible, sadly. And, you know, if you listen to them in their post-game interviews and a couple days afterwards, they do sound like they realized it was a mistake. So I don't really want to harp on it too much because if they're more or less saying it's a mistake, like, you know, hey, they, they recognized it. I'm sure they'll go back and learn from it next season. Yeah, you know, that's what I hope as well. Um, I think it really... You know, like I said, I don't think it necessarily would have changed the game if we had gone for it on those two fourth and goals. And even if we scored, we still lost by enough. It, obviously, the game got ugly by the end of it. Um, but, you know, it like I said, it would have been it would have felt better if we were playing to win and they were just the better team with the best player uh, on the planet. So. Brett, you're obviously an Eagles fan, but still being from Western New York, like all of us, what was the feeling watching the Bills have such a stellar season ending with playing in the AFC championship against the best team in the league. I mean, you know, I was all in. I Anybody who knows me knows, like, I'm a maniac when it comes to the Eagles, but I love and have always loved the Bills. It's, they're, you know, the, it's not quite 1A and 1B, but it's close to that. Like, Jeff remembers when we were in middle school, we, were, we called ourselves the Bills brothers with Jake Grossman, and we would go scout at training camp with Stevie Johnson. So... You know, and my Kyle, uh, contested catch regular, he uh, is a diehard Bills fan, cried like a baby when Andy Dalton brought uh, won that game for the Bengals, putting the Bills in the playoffs, cried like a baby when they won the when the Bills just won their first playoff game this year. Um, so I got to watch that wild card round with him, which was it was great. Um yeah, man. I mean, it was so much fun. They, they have such a bright future and uh, they kind of just ran into um, an immovable object in the Chiefs. So you can't really knock them for that game. The Chiefs were amazing on both sides of the ball. I, I mean, you know, and obviously I'm not as wrapped up into it as Bills fans, but I tried to like, you know, I talked to my brother, my dad. I'm like, you got to keep it in perspective. Like they look great. Josh has improved tenfold this year. Uh, they should be able to keep this core around him. So, I mean, and what, just what a ride they didn't, they didn't lose for so long. And the only game they lost, they shouldn't have lost on that bullshit. Hell Mary. So it's it just like, yeah, those types of runs you remember for your entire life. It w- it was special. And I figured that you would feel that way, you know, obviously with Kyle and your, you know, your dad as well, but you know, just being from Western New York, I think, you know, I'm very interested to get Jabron's thoughts on this as well, because it's just so interesting to see how all of New York, you know, not even just Western New York, but Giants fans, I would even think Jets fans, honestly, it, I, I think honestly, the whole country in a way, because Bill's Mafia is probably the most lovable fan base there. They, oh, yeah. were, they were like the heel or, you know, kind of the, the butt of the joke, I guess, for a while, but because we we're the lovable losers, but then all of a sudden it was real. Oh my God, this is really happening. So many people were coming out of the woodworks, picking the bills against the chiefs that it just showed that this was really like a wagon that people were mm-hmm. getting on. It was really cool. So anyway, Jabron, you are a Patriots fan, my friend, in case any of our audience members forgot, uh, our longtime rival and the villain of the AFC East, if not the whole league. And so we'll get to your team shortly, but first as a fellow Western New Yorker, but also a Pats fan, what was your feeling watching the Bills reach new heights and finally finish atop the AFC East? You know, it was a it was a weird season. Uh, I think once Tom had left Foxborough, uh, I was sort of resigned to a step back this year. 
Now, was that going to be seven and nine? I don't know. Uh, between you and me, I did smash the over on nine and a half wins. Luckily, <laughs> that bookie uh, closed. So I never had to come through on that bet. Um, but with all of that being said, my expectations were low for New England. So I turned my attention to the rising Bills. Um, and I've always said, you know, as a Pats fan, I root for the Bills 14 out of 16 weeks. Uh, so I was happy to see their success. I think Josh took a significant step forward. Uh, now the question will be, does, do we see the Carson Wentz syndrome, the Jared Goff syndrome next year? Is this sustainable? I think so. I think his arm talent is there. I think his physical tools and his ability to run are, are significant. But maybe just coming back to McDermott for a, a real quick second, I'm curious how you guys view him uh, as the head coach of your team. Because, you know, when it, when his hire was made, I didn't consider it overly impressive at the moment. Now, certainly that defense has really become, you know, a, a perennial top 10 defense now under his tutelage. But I'm wondering specifically this year uh, with the 13 and three record, how much of that do you attribute to the brilliance of Dable and Leslie Frazier? And, and maybe how much of that is McDermott? Because like you mentioned, Bill, he did, uh, collapse on a couple key decisions in this in the most recent game, the AFC Championship. Well, I'll start, Jeff, and I think that the biggest thing that McDermott has brought is culture to the Bills. Um, you know, if you remember in our in our group message amongst our fantasy football league, we talked about the Bills. You know, the big free agents, uh, big free agent class uh, two years ago, I believe it was. And we had a couple friends who will remain unnamed, basically saying, good luck getting any big free agents to Buffalo. Like, who's going to want to go to Buffalo? This is a losing franchise. It's not, you know, this ultra attractive city like New York or San Francisco or something. Um, and, you know, it's not like we were on an upward trajectory and these people thought that they might be able to get a championship out of it. And what McDermott proved was they built a true culture in that locker room and in that organization. And I think that by routing out the old regime's players that did not fit that, were not you know invested in this new era's success, um, and also bringing in new faces that could you know add to that culture, that was a huge step. I think we've seen that be very very strong and shine through in this year's team, especially when a guy like Stefan Diggs, a quote unquote diva who people thought was going to be a locker room cancer or you know suspected that he was in Minnesota comes in and fits like a glove and makes perfect friends with our with our quarterback and is like the face of the team next to Josh Allen. I think that's a great example of how strong the culture is in Buffalo now. And I think that's that's mainly McDermott's doing. You know, his his time in the NFL has been uh, as a role player on teams and on coaching staffs um, up up until now. So that would be what I would say is his biggest contribution. I still really like him. Um, I'm very, very, very partial to having an offensive mastermind head coach. I just think that that gives an advantage that other teams can't poach away. But, um, I think McDermott might be one of those ones like a John Harbaugh who get away with not having that and still making up for it in other ways. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, I think, um, the impact on a building from a culture perspective is sometimes hard to quantify or see, but that, that's a fair point. I just wonder how much input he has now in terms of orchestrating an offense and a defense that really outperformed this season. Uh, but to your point, you know, how much is Pete Carroll really doing uh, on that front and how much of it is actually team management organization, things of that nature. The one thing I will say is um, was Stefan Diggs ever a diva or if you had captain Kirk cousin throwing to you and you were a top 10 wide receiver in terms of talent, would you maybe be frustrated too? Uh, I, I almost think that that's um that serves well for Josh uh, and actually is just more of a slight to Kirk. What I remember reading was 
Diggs is huge on trust. And once that trust is broken, it basically can't get rebuilt. And I think that's what happened in Minnesota. And this whole diva persona really didn't start until he wanted out. And, you know, wide receivers already have that stigma around them. Um, so I think that maybe that just played into it some more. I don't think that he's ever been a bad guy or um, a teammate that isn't, you know, of the caliber that you'd expect for for a, an elite player um, all, all around. So, yeah, I think that that was probably just a misnomer or, you know, just a, a mischaracterization of him. Um, and I think that's been proven this year. He's been nothing short of phenomenal. It's funny how, um, you know, people like Austin Colley, uh, Cole Beasley, uh, Danny Amendola never get labeled diva. It's interesting. You know, <laughs> I guess it must be something to do with playing the slot and just going over the middle for those tough catches. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, good stuff. Jeff, anything to add on the Sean McDermott um, uh, conversation? Uh, just a small point that I think it ties into culture, too, is like they've really just seem to have instilled like a growth mindset into the uh into the team and like McDermott himself as we've talked about with changing you know for, you know fourth down aggressiveness um so you know like, yeah Brian Dable deserves a ton of credit for helping engineer you know one of the top offenses this season um you know McDermott we have no idea how much he inputs in the minutia of game planning on that side you know we have to assume it's you know some some degree um but also even if it's not and he was kind of hands off it's still at least like you know encouraging Dable to or giving him the reins to kind of run it and also you know bring in the tools up top for the, the the analytics focus of okay pass heavy you know this is what works more often than not um you know, fourth down decision-making absolutely is him. So like, yeah, whenever Dable leaves, it'll definitely be some pretty big shoes to fill, but I think they also know what to look for both from the X and O standpoint and also just the, the personality growth mindset culture standpoint that I, I think they will know how to fill that position. Yeah. That's a good point that way. Um, anything else, Jabron, before we move on from the Buffalo bills? I mean, I guess from your guys' perspective, what's the key area to address next year, right? It's pretty much the best season we've seen in the better part of two decades now. Uh, where do they go from here? What are the holes that you think need to be filled for next season? So in my opinion, I think on offense, it is speed. We just lack – we saw that against Kansas City with Tyreek Hill and McCole Hardman. They could just take a slant and no one could catch up to them. The Bills – lack that on offense, just a player who can just, you know, get the ball anywhere in the field and be a threat to take it 85 yards to the house. We do not have that on offense. I think that is the one missing dimension. Um, you know, the, the running game did struggle, but you know, we harped on running game and how much, how important it is enough on defense. Um, a lot of people think pass rush, in my opinion, I kind of think we need a, well, given the age of the line, we probably should look to add eight, you know, some pieces. Um, but I think we really just need like another, almost not necessarily a full lockdown corner, but another start stud starting cornerback opposite of Trey. We kind of have had a revolving door there, partially due to injuries and also just kind of like doing cornerback two by committee. Um, I think if we can just get like a locked in full time starter opposite Trey White, that would do wonders on the defensive side. Yeah. Uh, to add on to what you said, Jeff, um, first of all, I think that the defensive line is in a much better uh, state of affairs than people give it credit for. We've got 
two young centerpieces, I think you could call them that, Ed Oliver and AJ Penesa, our first two picks the last two years. And, you know, they're, I think they're both going to shape up to be really good starters in the league, uh, if not better. And so, you know, then you can bring in Wiley veterans to fill in the DT2 spot and edge two spot. Uh, to answer your question, Jabron, I think that the Bills don't have any glaring wounds to fill, um, which is really good. That's a good spot to be in. I think um, the number one thing we could do on offense, besides the speed element that Jeff mentioned, which was apparent against the Chiefs, is just to continue to reinforce the offensive line. We're not super young on the offensive line. Uh, I'm not sure that we are sold on Cody Ford yet. I'm not sure that we're sold on Deion Dawkins as the left tackle of the future. I think he's a good left tackle, but he's not um, this you know guaranteed starter for ten more years. You know, barring injury. So I think offensive line is a place that we could continue to address, and then that would also aid the running game. We've already invested, I think, amply in the running game with two third round picks going there in back to back years. And then on defense, I really want someone who can take away someone's tight end one. If you think about who we're going to have to play, if we're going to stay at this level of play, it's going to be the chiefs a lot. It's also probably going to be the Ravens a lot. And they both have, they have two of the best tight ends in the league. And I don't know that we really have someone to do that. Matt Milano might not be back with the bills next year. Trey Edmonds is not a great coverage guy, despite his athletic gifts. So I would love to see a bigger safety come in that could p- potentially be like an heir apparent to um, to Poyer and Micah Hyde, and then also fill in that big nickel role. And you know we we have good uh, slot cornerback play. The Buffalo hero from the divisional round with Taron Johnson, obviously that one on one yard pick six was great. But I do think that that is an element that we are missing. I would have loved to get Jeremy Chin or Kyle Duggar, who you guys got this year. Um, but anyway, that should do it for the bills here. So before we get to the super bowl, let's talk about the seasons for two teams that faced off in super bowl 52. That's obviously the Eagles and the Patriots. So Jabron, we'll start with your boys in new England, the Patriots. We're going to be watching the face of new England play a home super bowl game, but in Tampa Bay, Tom Brady's departure has been as fruitful as he could have hoped so far. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on him playing in another Super Bowl, but for a different team. You've only had, you know, about 12 months to digest this, not even 12 months to digest this move. And here you are. So what's it look like? Well, Matt, it's been a uh, a genuine roller coaster over those 12 months. I've gone from anger, jealousy and hatred to just pure fandom again. I think earlier on, you know, as we saw the Pats sort of struggle through the season, the Bucks were a bit volatile there as well. I think trying to gel together, especially on offense, uh, the defense was opportunistic, but they they were just sloppy. They were making a lot of mistakes, high turnover, high penalty rate, um, and so I don't know. I, I just I wasn't really paying too much attention to them. I was sort of pissed that Tom was doing so well, but through this playoff run, it really just brought back the last twenty years of memories for me in New England, where you just witnessed his greatness. Now he did throw three picks in the NFC Championship game. Some of them were pretty atrocious, but at the end of the day, the guy gets the W. Uh, I don't care what you want to say about him. He has more wins than losses. The fact, uh, Jeff, you can probably correct me on this. I think he's made it to the championship game, what, 14 years out of 19 or something like that. It's something insane like that. And so to get to the final four that consistently and to now do it with a new team where you didn't have a normal offseason, didn't get the reps in training camp, didn't even have OTAs really now. There was definitely some hush-hush uh, passing going on on the Brady complex down the gate, Brady compound down in Tampa. But with all of that considered on an abbreviated offseason to be able to get a team to the Super Bowl, 
like Bruce Arians said, it only took one man, uh, and that man is the GOAT. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, we're going to talk about that, disc- the GOAT part in a second. Um, I-, I think one thing that has to be said when we think about this year's Tampa Bay Buccaneers, when you add Tom Brady, is that this was already an amazing roster. The defense had question marks because they had a lot of young players on the secondary, but I think that Tampa Bay has done a pretty darn good job of drafting good secondary players. They already had a pretty strong defensive line. And the offensive line was really good, and they added Tristan Wirfs, who I thought was the best offensive tackle in the class, in a really, really good offensive tackle class. I think he's been nothing short of marvelous all year. And then obviously all the pieces that he already had, you know, he brought Gronk, but they already had Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Scotty Miller, and then he brought uh Antonio Brown again. So I mean he Scotty Miller, no diva issues, never been <laughs> called a diva in his life. <laughs> I think you're probably right. Uh, so, but moving over to the Patriots now, Jib, sorry to make you relive this. Uh, we're going to do the same thing with Brett later, but, uh, the Patriots obviously had an uncharacteristically bad year, despite the hope that Cam Newton could potentially revive his career in new England. And that maybe Bill Belichick could muster up, you know, another double digit win season and go to the playoffs. A lot of COVID opt-outs on defense were a huge part of this, something we've talked about from the get-go of the season, right? I don't think anyone was hit harder by the COVID opt-out, um, option than the Patriots. And so my question for you is with those guys coming back, we expect next year, most likely, uh, the Patriots are a quarterback away from contending again, or is there more to be done? And what are your hopes for this offseason in particular? Um, Unless that quarterback is Tom Brady 10 years ago, uh, I think it's going to take more than that to get back into genuine contention. Now, with seven teams in the playoffs, could they maybe sneak in a wild card uh, potentially? But if we're talking about competing with the Bills at a, 11 plus win sort of level. I think you really need to bolster the receiving core. They've completely whiffed on their tight end selections. Um, and, and we got to call a spade a spade. I think Bill has really missed on, you know, the last four or five drafts significantly, uh, both on the offense and the defense, but especially on the offense. And that, to your point, well, that's exactly why Tom left. Tampa Bay did have a great roster. New England's roster we saw last year uh, wasn't good enough, and Tom put up excellent numbers, right? Now, how much of that was garbage time padding? You know, we could argue about that, but the the final season stats were fantastic, and that is because of the, the receiving core and sort of the supporting cast around him. I think the one thing that we can take away from this season was that Damian Harris is the real deal. Um, and I think that, you know, you've been on him for a while, and I think – you saw the trust that Bill put in him. We've seen so many running backs go through the New England system and have one or two really big weeks and then fall down the pecking order. Everything you had heard about him last year while he was injured was that the Patriots loved him and you saw Bill's trust in him. So that's something that we can build off of. I think it could be interesting to see if they maybe pivot to more ground and pound style game, get some big blocking tight ends, get two or three legitimate receivers, but really run with Harris if you can't find the quarterback of the future this season. Um, and I don't know if they're in a position to necessarily find that guy this year. Yeah, uh, you know, I think this is a really strong quarterback class. I'm not sure that the Patriots are, like you said, in position to acquire one. Um, I, this is one of the craziest quarterback landscapes. Jeff and I have already talked about this a little bit on earlier episodes. But this is one of the craziest quarterback landscapes that I can remember in my time being alive and caring about the NFL. Um, it's, you know, so there are a lot of options out there. Tom Brady 10 years ago would be a 33 year old gentleman with uh, a pretty darn good arm. And, you know, you could argue that was Matthew Stafford, 
uh, 33 years old and just went to L.A. in that blockbuster trade. So I'm not sure that the Patriots could have paid that price. I wonder, you know, some of the language that you've heard out of Belichick over the last year leads me to think that he may be more prone to a full on sort of rebuilding of this roster, reconstruction of the roster organically and and resetting the cap. And so I, I am, I'm almost wondering if, you know, they'll let some of these contracts expire over the next season. Obviously, Bill's not out there looking to lose games. I think they'll be competitive. But from the way he's been speaking about the management of the team over the last few years and what that where that's put them last season, I almost wonder if, if he sort of wants a, a blank check to start to allocate elsewhere. Well, it's one of the most effective ways to get back into contention um, is to not pretend that you can contend with a team that can't. Instead, uh, you know, you build from the ground up, you take your your centerpiece young players, and if you don't have any, then you just sell sell the farm, get as many picks as you can, hope that you hit on them, and if you don't, you reset again. Um, the problem is teams hold on to mediocrity far too long, usually in the NFL, way you know, way into the time where their head coach and GM are kicked to the curb, and then uh, you really have a full rebuild on your hands, and then hopefully you get the right guys. Yeah, I think that would probably be in the Patriots' best interest. They still have a really good defense when all the players are there. Uh, but, you know, even with the the talk around Stephon Gilmore potentially being on the trade block before the extension, I think that he could still be on the move. And if they were to do that, if they were able to get a couple extra picks in the next two classes, uh, I think that would be a pretty strong move for the Patriots. And when they're looking around, you know, the Jets or the Dolphins seem like the most likely destinations for Deshaun Watson. If either of them land Deshaun Watson, you're looking at Josh Allen, who we think is one of the next great quarterbacks, young quarterbacks in the league. And Deshaun Watson, who we know is, a you know, an excellent, excellent top three, probably quarterback if you're starting a franchise today. So I think the Patriots would be fools to try to invest and build around Jarrett Stidham um, or try to patch up this this roster without actually addressing the needs and building it up from within. So I think that's a pretty good uh, sense about the roster there and, and the franchise's direction. If there's one thing I'm certain about, it's that Jared Stidham is not the answer. <laughs> if he could beat Cam Newton out this season when Cam can't even complete a 12-yard pass, which I could have done in seventh grade modified football as a third-string quarterback, <laughs> then I don't think Stidham's the guy. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. Well, speaking of New England quarterbacks, Jeff, has Brady's success in Tampa at 43 years of age? We already talked about the roster, but, you know, Considering what he's doing right now at this age, done anything to sway your thoughts that he is not, in fact, the GOAT? I mean, I still think Peyton Manning was better. Like, but Brady's had, I mean, Brady's had the best career. Like, I'm not denying Brady's had like a better, more successful career. I still think Peyton Manning was the better quarterback, though. I mean, he, his career got cut short by a nerve injury in his like shoulder and he couldn't or neck and he couldn't even like hold a football. So like, yeah, I'm, I, I recognize that Brady has had like the most successful career. I'm saying I still, if you had to give me one player in their prime for five years, I'm still taking Peyton Manning. I think it's a fair, I think it's a fair argument, Jib. What are your thoughts? I mean, it's an argument that's completely speculative, right? So you can have that thought, but uh, I think, all we can do is go based off of the head-to-head record between Brady and Manning and what Brady accomplished while Manning was in the league. And then you have to factor in the longevity, you know? And so, Jeff, you you said it. He has the better career. If I had to win one game down 28-3 to in a Super Bowl <laughs> in the second half, I think I would choose Tom Brady over Peyton Manning. So I think I would, you know, I think I would choose Patrick Mahomes over either. 
Sure. Yeah. Well, Mahomes has one. Tom has six. So Pat's got some time. But as of right now, I don't know if we've ever seen anybody um, more competitive in every game as a quarterback. I mean, even as a Pats fan, that was our senior year of college that uh, that Falcon Super Bowl. I was definitely not myself um, from a substance perspective, <laughs> but I remember I remember with all of my uh, college savings on the Pats money line. I remember not having any fear because I just, you believe in Tom. Now, some of that fear might've been muted by uh, some of the gummy bears I'd been eating. You know, Sour Patch Kids can get you in some type, some type of way. But I mean, come on. As Have you ever seen a game with Brady and thought they're completely out of it? I mean, I, I think that's a fair point as well. It's it's a hard thing to argue is because we were talking about what ifs and, um, you know, especially if you're, taking players out of their situation and starting them in their prime for five years, that sort of thing. But yeah, I mean, I think Jeff, you've reconciled with the fact that Brady and not that you didn't before, but you recognize that Brady's had the best statistical career uh, and, and best overall career, I guess you could say, but is he the best quarterback of all time? Is he the one that you would pick to win a game? I think that is still up for debate because I think other people are probably more talented, but he has everything else besides maybe the elite athleticism uh, and, and arm strength. So it's, it's funny because it's sort of a mix of Jordan and LeBron in that he has LeBron's longevity and sort of the, the gold standard career. Uh, But he also has Jordan's rings, right? He has the most rings ever won at his position. I think you just, you have to value the fact that he's been doing it at, pretty much this level now for the better part of two decades. Um, and, and that's just incredibly valuable to your team, right? And he's been doing it at a discount for factors outside of just football. But I, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So, Brett, let's turn our attention to the Eagles now. And <laughs> I'd uh, rather just talk about the Bills <laughs> for the next 10 hours. <laughs> Yeah, well, I don't blame you because it was obviously quite the season. I'm, you know, you and I talked a lot about perhaps my favorite prospect in this 2020 NFL rookie class. That was Jalen Hurts, but also about a guy we both had a hope for in Carson Wentz. You know, Jeff has his opinions on Carson Wentz. And Brad, I'm interested to get your updated take on, you know, where Carson Wentz stands in your eyes now. But Wentz was benched. Jalen Hurts came in, started, looked strong for most of his starts, I would say. To, you know, just to keep it brief. Uh, now, Doug Peterson is gone, the, the head coach for the Super Bowl season. Uh, he's replaced by the by the 39-year-old Colts offensive coordinator, Nick Sirianni, a disciple of Frank Reich, who many believe was the true architect of the Eagles Super Bowl season in 2017. So it seemed like that was kind of the intent was to bring some of that magic back. Uh, so Jeff, or excuse me. So Brett, thoughts on the Eagles future at quarterback and this new coach after a lost season? Yeah, uh, I would say for the first time in my life of being an Eagles fan that the franchise is an absolute mess. Um, and it it's just crazy to think of where we are. Like wh- how I just talked about the Bills is how I felt, I, how most people felt about the Eagles after they won the Super Bowl. And, you know, I mean, they won the Super Bowl like I – that's will be the greatest moment of my life probably forever. Um, and actually I got to, I was with Jeff for the NFC championship game and I was with Will for the Super Bowl. So pretty cool. Indeed. Um, anyway, it, they just looked like they were 
just set up for such success and they had the young coach and Wentz was back and Wentz was going to be back and healthy and they had the weapons and everybody was under contract. And to just see where they are now, it's like, it's depressing. It's, it's not, I, I'm not even like mad about the team. I, it's just like, it doesn't make any sense how they got here. And as, as high as I was on Howie Roseman, I don't know if bringing in a new coach is really going to change anything. If the front office continues to miss on draft picks and to, I guess, I mean, we don't know, but it seems that they call the shots and Doug was sick of like being a puppet for the front office. So I'm a little worried that Sirianni is just like a yes man. And they brought in a guy who has no head coaching experience that they kind of could just tell what to do. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I did it with Doug. He won a Super Bowl. Uh, so people were hating on Doug then. So we'll see. Um, as far as quarterback goes, it's <laughs> it depends on the day. Like I've talked, I've talked to both Jeff and Will. I'll say, like you know, I'm not ready to give up on Wentz. He's he's too good. Look at 2017. How can somebody do that and then be as terrible as they are? Like there's got to be some magic in him. And then you know, I'll say I'll text one of them or I'll tweet some shit like. Wentz is the worst quarterback of all time. How is this guy even in the NFL? That That's mostly on game days when he's throwing erratic interceptions. But, man, I don't know. I, I Again, I'm not ready to give up on Wentz. I would like him to come back. I would like him and Hurts to battle it out training camp. Um, and I would like to see Wentz under a new coach. Who knows? if he If he sucks again next year, then I guess it's Hurts time, but I don't think Hurts is the answer. I, I, it's just like, <laughs> there's no right answer. I wish they would just trade both of them for Deshaun Watson and we could just call it a day. Um, I don't know, man. I, I even, okay, this year, I'll wrap it up with this. This year, Wentz was awful. It's like so beyond bad, probably the worst quarterback in the NFL. 2017, he was arguably the best quarterback in the NFL. I would say the years in between that, he was good. He was like a good starter. He last year he brought the Eagles to the playoffs with Greg Ward as his best receiver. Uh, the year before that, he was having a good statistical season before he hurt his back. Like, it's not it's not like he only had one good year. He obviously had one great year. Uh, so I I do think he has that juice left. I just don't know what the hell ha- happened this year. And truthfully, like they're not surrounding him with the weapons and they just keep going with old dudes everywhere. Deshaun Jackson, Alshon Jeffrey, the offensive line's old. Let's bring back Jason Peters for another year. Uh, he's going to be brought back for another year when he's like 70 <laughs> years old <laughs> with no legs left. Yeah, um, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, this year he I, was like supposed to retire and then they're just like, hey, can you just right. slide into guard? We just need a body. Because well, Dillard got hurt yeah. and Brandon Brooks got hurt. <laughs> I mean, Peters can't eat, like he actually can't even get into a three point stance. Physi- no. He physically. I, mean, I love the guy. But... He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah. He's one of the best Eagles of all time. But he's basically and a former Buffalo. My, true. He's my grandfather's age at this point. So he needs to. <laughs> he needs to. He could coach. I would like if he coached. But anyway, I mean, just draft Jamar Chase and like. I guess leave me alone for the next two years until you're good again. <laughs> I've had enough of the process. Like I don't need this anymore. 
Jeff, so, you know, on the Carson, Carson Wentz 2017 situation, I know you're of the mindset that, that Wentz was really only performed well in his career in 2017, specifically on third downs, and was otherwise basically overrated. Do you think he stays in Philly? And, you know, is there anything anywhere else you'd like to see him go that could revive his suddenly faltering career? And, you know, is Brett right that Carson Wentz could still be a great player under the right coaching? Yeah, so just on 2017, real quick, what Will's referring to is um, like on first and second down, Wentz had relatively average to like even slightly below average efficiency on a per play basis. But then third downs, he was just otherworldly, like averaging over half a point per play on third downs, which is insane. I mean, since this is a gambling podcast right now, that's basically <laughs> like hitting on 16 and getting a 21 at game in and game out. That was the type of hot streak that Wentz was on. Um, and usually that's not sustainable. Now and then you see a player like Patrick Mahomes who does have uh, disproportionate success on third down and sustains it over a several-year sample size. How about our boy Josh Allen? Josh Allen was doing that very well this year too. Um, was the like early down success or just all three downs together that is generally – a better indicator of long-term and consistency. Um, and we didn't see that with once in 17. And then, you know, 18, 19, he was, I, I would say he was really just relatively average. We never really saw sustained stretches of that, like peak efficiency. And yeah, I mean, obviously 2020 was a train wreck. So my overall take is I don't think he is as good as the numbers looked in 2017. I think he's probably better than he was this year in 2020. Um, or is he, I think he still has the ability you know, to be better, but I, in my opinion, I think he needs to hit a reset button, whether that means whether a new head coach is enough to do that, or if that means he has to just kind of leave Philadelphia, I'm not really sure, but um like I, I don't really see him ever being a top ten quarterback. I think he can be, you know, around average to above average. Um, but yeah, I mean, do you think do you think Hertz could be a top ten quarterback? I don't know. He he offers a different dimension to the game that Wentz uh, than Wentz doesn't bring with the legs. Um, you know, Will's a lot higher on him than I am. So I mean, Will thinks he could be. I would bet. Assume. Um, you know, at this point, I guess I would say I think Hertz has a higher ceiling or a higher probability of reaching a ceiling than than once. But um, you know, I know it's tough because he he wasn't walking into an offense that was built around his his skill set. He was walking into an offense built for Carson Wentz, um, and then they really kind of you know stripped the offense down a little bit. You know, half field read, so he didn't have to go through a full progression. Um, so I mean, it's almost like Lamar Jackson in his rookie year, where he stepped into an offense that was built for Joe Flacco, and they were, you know, adopting on the fly, didn't have full like stuff in, and then the next year Lamar just took the league by storm. I, I don't think Hertz is Lamar Jackson, but I'm saying if he if he had a full offseason to craft an offense to his skill set and put the pieces around, build the offense around Hertz, and not put herds into Carson Wentz's offense, we might see some better results. Yeah, I, I think that's a very poignant comparison you make there, Jeff. One thing that's important to remember about this 2020 Eagles team was that they were just ravaged by injuries on the offensive side of the ball specifically. 
And both quarterbacks had to deal with that. You know, Carson Wentz uh, yet again wasn't playing with a full hand. Um, and it's, it seems like that's just consistently the case for him since 2017, whether it's his own injuries or injuries across the offensive line and or injuries at the skill position group. So, um, you know, that's that's all very good points from you guys. I think that do I think Jalen Hurts is the right p- quarterback to go with going forward? Absolutely. I'm a huge fan of him as a prospect. I think that he played better than Carson Wentz in a basically similar situation this year. I think that uh, Carson Wentz could still be successful elsewhere. I think he probably would be better better off hitting the reset button, like you said, Jeff. But I think one, one thing we've talked about, and, and you brought up a, a couple times, Jeff, is just that the, what's really concerning, because I've never really had a concern about Carson Wentz as a teammate or his character until I started hearing that he's someone who doesn't want to be coached and was very dismissive of the mistakes he was making or the coaching points that um, you know his team was bringing up. And that is a problem if if that's if that's the case, you know, who knows what, who who that's coming from. But, you know, if he is not it's coming from be- Alshon Jeffrey, <laughs> that's there's been stories each offseason about how terrible of a teammate Carson Wentz is and Philly Philly uh, radio thinks it's Alshon every time. Really? That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I mean, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. It's obviously it's a really difficult um move to make to move on from a guy who was seen as the face of the franchise potentially one of the next great young quarterbacks in the league and then now it's now we're here but uh, a couple other questions for you on this and i think the first thing you've already kind of alluded to this uh brett is that josh allen is having an eerily similar situation to carson wentz in 2017 in that he you know it's not it's not perfect a to b um you know josh allen is doing this in his third year Uh, Carson was in his second year after, you know, an okay rookie season. Um, And they're both very high draft picks. But Carson Wentz had this amazing 2017 that basically earned him this mega contract, regardless of what would happen in the subsequent years. And Josh Allen is about to get a mega contract because of basically this one year. Like, you know, I don't think Jeff or I would argue that the previous two years of Josh Allen were anything to get all that excited about you know it, their ceiling is there but he hadn't even thrown for 300 yards in a game let alone did we imagine that that version of him would take us to the AFC championship so the other thing is Frank Reich leaves Philadelphia and it seems like the offense kind of falls apart from that point on obviously injuries played a factor but and we've been talking about all season about Brian Dable how great he's been and how we fear when he leaves the chances there that Josh Allen regresses and this offense regresses as well so I'll start with you Jeff is this an apt comparison between Josh Allen and this Bills offense potentially being a one-year wonder comparing them to Carson Wentz and the 2017 Eagles? Um, I don't think making comparisons, comparisons is unwarranted. Jared Goff, we could even kind of toss into that conversation as well. Absolutely. Um, yep. And you know, I, I think a little bit of the difference is Allen was – oh, he, he's – like he was a younger prospect than Wentz was coming in. I think Carson was already 23, 23, 23 or yep. 24 so. when he entered. Like Allen, I mean, Josh Allen's like six months, seven months older than Joe Burrow, who's a rookie right now. So um, that is like something to be considered. Um, I, I think the way that Allen was winning this year, though, was that he was winning like the, the ways you'd expect uh, or like, to be sustained. I, we mentioned that early down success is where is a 
a better indicator than you know playbook when you have leveraged their downs and i mean allen was fifth in epa per play on first and second downs this year um and the other thing is like even in the second half of 2019 allen still had like top 12 efficiency so yeah holistically his 2019 season doesn't look that great but if you just kind of look at his progression from that second half of the rookie year into first half of 2019 second half of 2019 into actually being slightly above average into an MVP candidate this year. Um, I guess maybe just kind of like the, the series of progress is a little bit different. I don't think that means there aren't reasons to be concerned. Um, you could say, well, how much of his success was due to Stefan Diggs and Dable and whatnot, but um, and looking at how things turned out with Wentz and golf, like, yeah, I don't think some, Hesitation isn't warranted, especially when you do still have him under contract for two more years with, you know, f- fourth year and then the fifth year um, rookie option. I, you know, I, I don't think waiting one more year is the worst thing, but if you do sign him this year and he is the guy that we saw this year and not closer to what we saw at the beginning of his career, I mean, then you also get a bargain on the extension. That's fair. Brett, any thoughts on that comparison and, you know, just the situation for these two quarterbacks? It's it's funny because so many times throughout this season, I would say, A, how much this Bills team reminded me of the 2017 Eagles team. And then I would say how much Josh reminds me of Carson that season. And Kyle gets so mad every <laughs> time I bring up, shut up, dude. Stop, stop comparing him to Carson Wentz. He's, he's so much better. He gets so mad at me, and obviously, it's not unfounded if if you mean if you guys are discussing this on the podcast. So, I'm much less analytical than both of you are. The way the things Josh did this year and and, and would extend plays, he was great on third down. Bills are blowing teams out. That's what the Eagles were doing in 2017. Do I think Josh Allen's going to forget how to play football? No, like I don't think I think they're going to and they should pay him this offseason. Um, he earned it. And I think the jump he made is insane. And he sustained it for an entire season. I think this is the Josh Allen you're going to get. Um, Dable's not going anywhere. You're getting at least another year of him working with Josh in that offense. Yeah, I mean. I, I do think there's plenty of comparisons, but I don't necessarily think that's a negative thing. Uh, I just because they remind me of each other doesn't mean Josh is going to fall off a cliff like Carson did, or the Bills are going to fall off a cliff. Like the, that 2017 Eagles team was unbelievable, so that's a great team to be compared to. That doesn't mean that the 2021 Bills are going to be the 2018 Eagles. I, I think the Bills are in great shape. Obviously there's plenty of things that could go wrong, but knock on wood, it doesn't. Uh, and I would pay Josh. Yeah. You know, a lot happened between this era of Carson Wentz in 2017 and now including, you know, what ended his season that year, which was the torn ACL people forget, but Carson Wentz was one of the most effective uh, rushing quarterbacks that year. I mean, given the play that he got hurt on was uh, unfortunately a lost play. He ended up throwing the touchdown anyway, but he scrambled into the end zone, gets, you know, hit on both sides of his leg, tears his ACL. I wonder, you know, if he doesn't get injured there, never has that. In- I mean, it seems like he's fine and, you know, came back all the way. But if he wins that Super Bowl, 
how different his career could look now. Who knows? Obviously, right. but I mean, there's so many things that have set him up to be a head case since then. Like Foles comes in and wins a Super Bowl. The next year, he gets hurt again. Foles revives the teams, revives the team, and takes them to the divisional round. Like there's, and then they draft Hurts in the second round. Like there's just so many. I'm not excusing Wentz because, like, what the fuck? Why is he so bad? <laughs> but yeah. uh, there are so many things that you know would get to you and from that standpoint i get it like that stuff's not happening with josh so like matt barkley's not coming in right. and, and going and, superman no. yeah yeah right so here's here's a question for you um i think this is a pretty interesting one which was the bigger mistake because this has implications on both sides which was the bigger mistake drafting jj arcega white side i knew this was the question <laughs> or paying Wentz this mega contract. And before you answer, let me just set the audience up to understand why I'm asking this. So J.J. Arcega-Whiteside was taken 57th overall. Other players taken right around him. So theoretically, you know, the Eagles could have traded up or something. Miles Sanders was taken at 53 overall. They were, you know, he was the first pick for them. So, um, but A.J. Brown, Paris Campbell, Andy Isabella, who hasn't done really anything, but I think we we know that he's been suppressed in, in Arizona. D.K. Metcalf taken 64th. Uh, Deontay Johnson, 66th, Jalen Hurd, 67th. I mean, Terry McLaurin, 76th. Uh, there, there are plenty of other really good wide receiver prospects in this class. So the idea with this question is if they had taken someone other than J.J. Sega Whiteside, like a DK Metcalf or Terry or McLaurin. Or instead of Miles Sanders. Like a yes, but <laughs> yes, you could have taken both, I guess. But uh, anyway, Brett, what, what, which was the bigger mistake? So I thought the question was going to be, Arthega Whiteside over DK or Rager over Jefferson. And now it, I, I kind of, now that I'm thinking about it, it makes sense you didn't ask that because you're, you know, the biggest Rager fan in the entire world. I still, obviously, this looks horrible right now. Justin Jefferson was unbelievable. Not only did the Eagles pass on him, but I dropped him after two weeks based on the advice of the two contested catch hosts and am not able to keep him for $8 this year. Anyway, I'm not the jury's still out on Jalen Rager. So I'm not, uh, I, I agree with that. I don't think it's I wish, at all fair to judge him based on 20. Yeah. I mean, I wish, I wish we had Justin Jefferson right now, but jury's still out. The drafting JJ Arthago Whiteside over DK Metcalf. And you said AJ Brown was picked after AJ Brown was taken slightly before him, but I was okay. just kind of saying the Regardless, general range that over DK specifically, I, I can't even watch the Seahawks play football. Like <laughs> there, there is, there has never been a worse pick. I mean, there has been obviously, but that was just so terrible. Like, what are you doing? You're drafting a jump ball wide receiver, like Alshon Jeffrey 2.0. Well, you already have Alshon Jeffrey. Why? I don't understand why everybody passed on DK Metcalf as it is, but we took no a wide does. receiver. We took a wide receiver take a chance on this freak athlete it's like it was the biggest no-brainer of all time and i swear i swear to god if they don't get jamar chase this year i will not watch the eagles for the next <laughs> decade like it, it is so obvious they're gonna take like marquez valdez scantling jr <laughs> out of uh boise state junior college just because how he wants to look smarter than everybody else like just get jamar i i it doesn't even matter who the, 
If they had taken DK Metcalf, do you think Car- we would see Carson Wentz in this light right now? No. I don't. Okay. Who's he throwing to? Like, <laughs> Greg they Ward. Suck. They suck, man. <laughs> Greg <It> fucking just... <laughs> Ward. Yeah, I think if you take DK Metcalf, um, you know, I don't think we're still looking at Wentz as like a top 10 player, but we are looking at him in a more favorable light and thinking like, okay, he's overpaid, but maybe like more so in the Kirk Cousins tier as opposed to just being kind of like a, okay, how are they going to be able to shed this contract and move on and free up cap space? Yeah. Okay, Brad, we'll, we'll let you off the hook now. You don't have to think about uh, your team anymore. That, that'll do it for Patriots, Eagles, Bills. Let's talk Super Bowl now. And obviously this year we get to watch uh, what's shaping up to be an incredible matchup of two amazing teams, the GOAT by, versus the future GOAT, perhaps. Uh, you know, like you said, Jabron, Pat's got a long way to go. But as mentioned earlier, the Chiefs dominated the Bills in the AFC Championship game in more ways than one, not just on offense. The play calling and explosiveness were on full display as expected, led, of course, by Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. But the defense had one of the best performances of their season. And this isn't talked about enough, but they absolutely shut down perhaps the best wide receiver trio in the league, Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley and John Brown. And plus the other Bills role players. So the Chiefs are trying to become the first team to repeat a Super Bowl champ since the 04-05 Patriots when Jabram was just a young, young skipper. Um, but on the other side of the ball, the Bucks, obviously headlined by Tom Brady and this amazing roster that we were talking about, they came off a narrow defeat of the Packers. Green Bay was down 21-10 at half, came back to make it 28-23 going into the fourth quarter. Still couldn't pull it out despite three Tom Brady picks. Um, we know the Bucks are star-studded on offense, and they're led by a quarterback that's been here more than anyone else with the defense that's more than capable of getting them sacks and turnovers. So the Bucks come in as the first ever home Super Bowl team. This is a really interesting situation we've got here. The Chiefs are favored by three points. So, fellas, who will it be? Let's get a winner score prediction. Throw us out a MVP, if you will. Uh, we'll start with you, Jeff. Who are you picking to win? What's the score and who's the MVP? I am taking the Chiefs, uh, 35 to 26, Patrick Mahomes, MVP. Okay, that's a pretty hefty uh, winning margin as well. Do you think it'll be a dominant game or or just a, a late score pulls it away? I, I think it'll just, it'll be enough where the, you, the Chiefs are like always, never really in the posi- in position to lose it, um, I guess, other than knowing who's on the other side of the ball. Um, I don't know, I mean, the Chiefs absolutely dominated the Bucks in that first game this year, and just up, up was it like a twenty-eight to zero lead before just like going completely flat. Um, you know, I don't think they do that in the Super Bowl, and um, yeah, they're just so explosive. Um, I think the Bucks will be a little bit better on offense than they were, and and you know, be better game plan. But yeah, this Chiefs team is just way too good. Um, I think the the big question is going to come in the trenches with um basically the entire chiefs offensive line being reserves or backups um and the bucks really do have a strong defensive front so uh i think that is really the the question there i think andy reed with two weeks to prepare i mean he knows it like he he knows he's working with the backup offensive line and he'll have a game plan intact to uh, you know keep mahomes upright it's a good call. Okay. Uh, Jabron, what are your thoughts on the Super Bowl score, winner, and MVP? So my gut tells me Chiefs. Uh, 
my gut tells me Chiefs 31 or 34, 31. But after what I just told you guys, there's something about that Brady magic. And I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you I've been riding him the last three games in the offs. I'm going to be riding him again. You absolutely will hit Tampa Bay plus three and a half. But I actually think Tampa Bay will also win this game. I think it'll be really close. Final drive. Uh, Tom gets Ryan suck up into field goal range. Give me the Bucks, 34-31. And I think the way that they accomplish that, the only way that that happens is that young secondary that they have that's really come on over the last few games. I think they have to be opportunistic, create turnovers, pick off Pat one or, once or twice, force a fumble potentially. I think the Bucks have to play really fundamentally sound football, no penalties. And the reason that I have faith in this pick is because I think Tom will be able to manage the clock and go on longer methodical drives, which is the only way you can beat KC is keep that offense off of the field. So again, my brain tells me one thing, but my heart and my fanhood for the last 20 years, give me Tampa Bay. Brett, I'll ask you, uh, I'll remind you, our audience specifically, that you predicted the score for the, for the Super Bowl last year and perfectly uh, predicted that score plus the MVP, which was obviously Patrick Mahomes. So... What will it be this year? Who is uh, the winner and what will the score be? Yeah, that's uh, that's a lot of a lot to live up to right now. Um, I am torn because after watching that Bills game, it's I texted my dad after I'm like, if the Chiefs don't win by 30 points next week or two weeks, whatever, it's a failure. Like the Chiefs look like the best team I've ever seen in my life. And the Bucs are good, obviously. They're in the Super Bowl, but I don't think they're I don't think they're like the greatest team ever. So for for the last week, however long, I'm just like there, I, I can't first of all, I don't understand why the spread is as close as it is. Second of all, I just can't see the Patriots winning. I mean, sorry, Freudian the, slip. The Bucks, the Bucks <laughs> that is winning. a Freudian slip. Uh <laughs> Um, However, since, since you're an NBA guy, would, would you consider like this being the um, Curry and KD Warriors against the LeBron Cavs? Like, is that an apt comparison? Sort of. Be- no, it, if it was. Yeah. Uh, OK, yeah, actually, that's yeah, it's a good it's a good comparison because LeBron is on the team that he wasn't going to a bunch of straight finals with. Like if it was the Heat, you know that would be like the Patriots. Yes, I like that comparison, Jeff. I think that's. I think that's. I, I am, was I Kyrie on am, that team against the uh, KD Warriors. Yes. So I guess maybe um, Kyrie is Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and Gronk and all that all piled in. Scotty Miller, of course. I'm sorry. I uh, piled into one. It's funny that you brought that up, Jeff, because I am like I last year. I loved the Chiefs. Obviously, I love Andy Reid. Uh, this year, I still like, you know, like the Chiefs. I want the Chiefs to win because I love Andy Reid and, you know, I don't really like Tom Brady, whatever. However, if the Chiefs win again, I will hate them next year. Just like I, I loved the Warriors for the first two years. And then I'm just like, okay, it's over. Like you guys had your run, go away. And they didn't go away. And I'm worried that that's what's going to happen with the Chiefs because they're so fucking unbelievable. Um, anyway, with that said, I am worried. It's like it's Brady. The dude just wins. And I I just feel like I have like a gut feeling 
that the Bucks are going to win, but I'm not confident enough to put my money where my mouth is. So I'm going Chiefs 35, Bucks 27. Uh, hopefully, I, I just put a little bit of money on that exact score because I didn't last year and I missed out on quite a nice payday. So that's my you prediction. Did. MVP, okay. you asked. The MVP. Uh, I mean, it's going to be Mahomes, but I can't say Mahomes again. And it would be pretty boring if he won again. And this was going to be one of my uh, fun little prop bets. I like Travis Kelsey plus 1300 to win MVP. I think he could score a couple touchdowns, have like, you know, 10 receptions, have a monster game and they get a little voter fatigue and go line wildcat in and siphon off one from Mahomes. Sure. Whatever. What I mean, I, it's like voter fatigue. They're not going to want to give it to Mahomes two years in a row if, unless they have to. So I'm going Kelsey. Okay. So my take is 31, 28 chiefs. And the reason is the reason I really believe that the chiefs are going to win this is because we know that the bucks have a star set of roster. We've talked about it all episode, but we also know that the Bills had a really, really damn good offense until they met the Chiefs' defense. We saw some amazing performances by that Chiefs' secondary. I think that if there is a team uh, that the Chiefs will be challenged most by, if not the Bills' uh, receiving core, it'll be the Bucks. And so we'll see if that was a blip on the radar, an outlier performance, or if they really are as talented as they appeared to be uh, in, in last week or two weeks ago against the Bills. But I think that that is going to be enough to suppress some of that Tom Brady magic. I think that Mahomes uh, and and Andy Reid are just you know chomping at the bit for another Super Bowl. They don't want this to, to feel like you know just a young man's game anymore. They want to be like, hey, we're here, we're the next dynasty. And so I think Tom Brady passes the torch officially to Patrick Mahomes, who becomes the official face of the NFL if he hasn't already. Um, so this will be interesting. I think we've got some good predictions here, uh, Brett. Picked it perfectly last time, so we'll see uh, if he's got the magic again this year. Um, okay, couple rapid-fire questions before we get to bets and props. Jeff, is Andy Reid the best head coach in the league or just blessed with the best quarterback and skill position players? I mean, Bill Belichick is still in the league. So, no. So, <laughs> so no. Okay, that's fair. Um, short answer. Jabron. Is there any chance that Tom Brady retires after the Super Bowl with a win or a loss? What's your pick? Absolutely not. Zero percent chance. Okay. And you, you've been on record saying he th- he's going to go to 45. Nothing's going to get in the way except for a big injury. Or or failed plastic surgery, perhaps. <laughs> you know, I, I will heard- say is... His hair is going like Benjamin Button style. He's gaining follicles as he gets older. <laughs> and if you look at his like rookie picture versus his picture now, he looks like a goddamn snack. Whereas before, he used to look like Gibby from iCarly. <laughs> You're right. You're 100% right. He's getting more handsome with age. It's unbelievable. Um, Brett, how could the Chiefs have any hope of winning this game without their most important piece Opting out before the season, the man that <laughs> led them to the Super Bowl last year. Super Bowl MVP, by the way. Stop the count. <laughs> Damian MF Williams. How could they have any hope? I don't understand. I mean, I, I, I'd i have to go back and listen to the podcast last year. I'm sure I was hyping up Damian Williams, who 
you know, I, I hold near and dear to my heart. He brought, brought me to a fantasy championship. He is, uh, one of the many loves of my life. Yeah, man. I mean, <laughs> what's his name? Darwin Thompson's just really, really good. They didn't, they didn't need Dame this year. They just, they can, <laughs> they're, they're being carried. That's a fair bar. Carried on the back good of uh, mighty mouse Darwin Thompson. That's, that's a, that's a, that's a fair comeback. <laughs> and watch Darwin um, Thompson comes out of nowhere, puts up three touchdowns and he still, he'll be robbed of MVP MVP because Will has some kind of line to the commissioner telling them that we don't value running backs. <laughs> you know, Roger Goodell is a big fan of contested catching. So he has come, come around to the line of thinking that running backs don't matter. So I think, I think that's a safe bet to make. Okay, so let's move on now to props and bets. Obviously, this is the single biggest day for prop bets on the calendar. You can bet on anything from the length of the national anthem to all kinds of random happenings during the game. You know, there's just really no better place to be if you love prop bets. So um, we'll start with you, Jabron. What is initially standing out to you as prop bets that, serious prop bets, let's say, that you are actually going to put your money on that you think are a good bet for our listeners well one that immediately jumped out is uh a kelsey touchdown with the chiefs win at plus 400 i think if you're banking on the chiefs winning this game travis kelsey and tyreek hill are both going to have to be involved so i like that given uh, you know the four to one odds there to be honest i didn't see a whole lot else that i absolutely loved i mean there's some crazy stuff like i think if you take like chris jones's mvp it's like you know a hundred to one or something, but that that's one that I actually do like, especially if you are bullish on the chiefs winning this game, then I, I would hammer that. Okay. Fair enough. Br- uh, Jeff, what's your favorite prop that you're seeing? I kind of like draw Williams over eight and a half fantasy points, full PPR. Um, you know, all we need is a touchdown and then a 10 yard like catch reception. <laughs> Yeah, like, you know, it's in a way, it's sort of like a touchdown prop, but you have other outs. Um, See, I have a small list. Um, I like um, Chiefs winning by 7 to 12 at plus 410. Uh, It kind of goes in with my score prediction. Um, You can bet that there's no punts in the game at plus 640. Um, I haven't, you know, I don't know. If that's just more of a fun one, I wouldn't put a ton on it, but you know, can see you know where neither team punts and it's just a complete shootout. Um, of course, you could also lose that in the first drive of the game, so who knows? <laughs> that's fair. Um, and while we're talking about wide receivers who aren't divas, you can get Scotty Miller with the longest reception in the game at plus 1400. I mean, hey, they did it at the end of the half. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like it only takes one play. Um, really, really steep odds, but I kind of like the the payout relative to the probability. Like, I'm not saying you know, obviously you're probably going to lose it, but um, I don't know. I kind of like the leverage on that. Brett, what are your favorite prop picks? Brought to you, of course, by Barstool Sportsbook. Great plug. Uh, I I really like uh, Bucks. Bucks to lead at halftime, Chiefs to win the game. Um, and you could do that on the Barcelona Sportsbook. You probably can do it elsewhere, but it's nice and it's a great user experience on the Barcelona Sportsbook. <laughs> anyway, uh, those odds are plus 525. Uh, we've seen the Chiefs be down plenty of games. Uh, wouldn't be surprised if, you know, they're down 
14-10, whatever, at halftime, and then they just explode in the second half. They seem to do it all the time. Uh, so I think that's a, a tasty bet. I like that one. Uh, and then I got I got one more for you. This is my long shot. Uh, in honor of my my best friend when I worked for the Raiders at their training camp, anytime touchdown score, Jaden Mickens, plus 2,200. I think he takes a kick return to the house for the Bucks. Jaden and I are such good friends that I texted him after he scored two touchdowns for the Jaguars like two years ago. He had a two-touchdown game. I texted him. I was like, hey, man, like I'm so proud of you. Great job, whatever. He responded, thanks. So we're, <laughs> we're really close, if you couldn't tell. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> I, you know, I actually believe that was going to go a different <laughs> way. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. Okay. Good stuff. Any other props that you want to throw away, Brett? No, don't, don't, uh, just gamble responsibly, please. Gamble responsibly. Don't bet what you can't afford to And lose. if you're in Pennsylvania and now Michigan, please bet on the Barstool Sportsbook. We are, uh, we would love your business. That's the, that's okay. the tagline. <laughs> <laughs> we would love your business. That's awesome. I've got something that I think is interesting. And I think if you're picking the Chiefs and you're looking at the money line being about even money, um, I think that Chiefs to win by one to six points is the winning margin plus 250, especially if you think it's going to be a close game. Like, I think most people think this is going to be a pretty close game. Jeff, your margin of victory is at nine. So, you, you know, you might not want this bet, but I think uh, the Chiefs to win by one to six at plus 250 is a nice way to engineer, you know, 2.5 times even money um, if you if you wanted to go that way. So that's something I think is interesting. Um, I think. There are, I always love to get creative with the Super Bowl MVP bets because um, I like to imagine that there is a, a chance for someone to win it other than the winning quarterback. Uh, Jeff, if you remember, we watched the Super Bowl where Julian Edelman won Super Bowl MVP and we were sitting on the couch next to each other. The game was about to yeah, kick off. You, you, tried, you tried to place it like right after kickoff. No, right before kickoff. We're literally like they're teeing the, the ball up. And I'm like, Jeff, I want, I don't remember what I was going to wager, but I want Julian Edelman for MVP. It was like plus six, plus, plus 600, plus 800 odds or something. Uh, remember, well, remember last year, the rushing line on Mahomes was 29 and a half. And he was at like, he was at like 37 or 38. And then he took the kneels. He took three kneel downs to hit the under. That was an incredible beat or win if you were on the other side. Yeah, that's that's unbelievable. How about this? The Doink Special on DraftKings Sportsbook. Any field goal or extra point attempt to hit the uprights or crossbar. It's supposed to be a rainy game, potentially. Uh, we know that this has been happening all postseason. Something crazy is in the water right now for the kickers. Uh, yes is plus 375. <laughs> if you're looking for a little wild action, I think that's a, way, a place that you could go to bet on the Doink Special. What do you guys think of this one? It's any scoring drive to take less time than the singing of the national anthem. So, you know, the national anthem probably comes in around a minute 40 to a minute 50. Yes, is minus 335. So I got embarrassingly um, scorched on last Super Bowl's <laughs> national anthem. Um, I think I like that bet. I think I see Kansas City putting one drive on, on Tampa Bay. I think Tampa Bay's defense is going to be pretty sound playing mostly some pseudo prevent at least with two safeties in the back to cover the over the top but yeah kansas city's so explosive i could see one kc drive going about a minute 30 a minute 40 and what you also have to consider is if it is a close game 
at the end and someone does put up a field goal in a short amount of time, then, then that bet's going to hit. I, I yeah. kind of like that. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's minus three thirty. So like you're, it's a lot of juice, but yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's like, it doesn't have to be a touchdown. It can just be a two minute, you know, get the ball with a minute 15, go 30 yards, kick a field goal. You, you win, but yeah, it's a pretty steep line. But when you think about it, it's tough because you don't actually know what the anthem time is ahead of time. But you can have a ballpark and you can see, you know, two minute drills hitting the field goal or, you know, Tyreek just taking the, you know, one play to the house, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think the, I think that's appropriately priced heavily on yes, that it would happen. Um, I've got a long shot Super Bowl MVP uh, and it's Tyron Matthew at plus 4,000. And the reason is I think Tyron Matthew is the best defensive player on the field uh in this game and i think that he continues to put himself in positions to do the things that would draw the eye of you know the mvp deci- decision makers uh he gets a lot of chances for interceptions because he engineers them himself he's also excellent at returning uh those interceptions for touchdowns and i think that you know if there was someone who was going to do it you know it, it's really hard to pick an offensive player for the chiefs if you expect them to win that isn't Patrick Mahomes because, okay, Tyreek Hill, like unless he were to come out and put up another like almost 300 yard receiving performance with three touchdowns, it's very, very difficult to imagine an offensive player on the Chiefs winning besides Patrick Mahomes. And so I think that there is a scenario or Damian Williams <laughs> or Damian Williams, if you will. Yeah. I mean, hey, if you, if you thought Damian Williams should have gotten it last year and you really think that the position's replaceable, Daryl Williams at plus 4000, he's there as well. <laughs> uh, he's, he's not fast enough. Probably not. Probably not. But uh, anything else that's catching your guys' eye? What was Tyron at for MVP? Plus 4,000. You want to ride, Jibby? Nah, I'm good. With me? I'm <laughs> good, dude. Because if you're, if, you're well, betting on a, if you're betting on a defensive player, you need them to have the game of their life. And it's going to be tough. That was a Sergio Dip uh, reference for those who are uh, attuned to the famous – ESPN sideline reporter who only had one opportunity and he absolutely blew it. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't know. I, I agree with you that to me, it's, it's going to be so obviously the winning quarterback, unless something spectacular happens. I, I could see a Kelsey 13 reception game, potentially getting it or a Tyreek, like you said, closing in on 200 yard game with two touchdown plus um, Matthew would need to score a defensive touchdown uh, force one or possibly two turnovers and then add something else to the stat sheet, whether that be a sack or several tackles for loss. So it's just, it's a really high barrier. Again, at plus 4,000, you're taking those odds and, and sort of just hoping. I think if there is a defensive player, it's him, but but I would probably just stay away. You're better off keeping your money and uh, investing it in Robin Hood. <laughs> <laughs> one thing I do kind of like is total interceptions thrown in the game, one and a half. Uh, the over of that is plus 110. And I do think that we could see one Brady pick, one Mahomes pick. Uh, I do think the defenses will be a little bit opportunistic in trying to force turnovers. So you are getting plus odds on that if you if you do take the over at one and a half total picks. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, there's there's some there's a lot of options here. Uh, you know, like I said, you can bet on anything. You can bet on the Gatorade color. I remember there was a big uh, scramble to bet on. I think it was purple last year. I think someone got, or maybe they manufactured a tip that like, you know, 
the the Gatorade color was going to be purple and it jumped from like the, the least likely to the most likely. Yeah, it was the the rumor was that it was going to be purple as like a for Kobe was the rumor. Ah, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, but they didn't do it those fucks. There's another fucking <laughs> No. And then there's another few dollars down the fucking drain. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, this is a PSA to all the listeners. At the end of the day, don't fucking take the prop bets. You're only going to be a losing man. But hey, if you want to, if you want to feel something, anything for the game, then, you know, burn a little cash. Why not? Good stuff. Okay. I'm curious, just like, how do you guys see the vibe? I think, wasn't it supposed to be 22,000 fans are going to be there again? Uh, unfortunate that it's happening during COVID and we don't actually get to see a home Super Bowl at its fullest, or we didn't get to see Buffalo host a second round playoff game. Um, but do you think that that sort of environment will impact the game in either direction versus a typical Super Bowl? I mean, it's hard to say because it's the Super Bowl. It's not just a random NFL game. You know, we we basically saw all kinds of situations where no fans and some fans and maybe more than some fans during the regular season. Um, I think the Super Bowl, I don't really know the demographics of Super Bowl attendees very well. Rich, um, wealthy. Yeah, I I would assume that for the most, it almost ends up being like a neutral game, like it's supposed to be, where, you know, proximity to the to the field, unlike, you know, March Madness, per se, where where fans are traveling um, and they're from for more more time. If you're like Duke and you're playing in the southeast part of the bracket, you know, you might have an advantage over fucking like Rhode Island. but the difference yeah, this year, though, is that they're allowing those Tampa healthcare workers to come there. So I do think the crowd, point. however small, is going to skew probably more Bucks fans than it would typically. I think you're going to see 75, 80% Bucks fans. Well, that's a good thing. I think if nothing else, that's a, a good thing for to reward an important community. Anyway, okay, let's wrap up here. So we talked about the Super Bowl. We talked about all of our teams. We wrapped up the 2020 season. I think pretty well. We're obviously looking forward to the next season coming up. We're hopeful to have Jabron and Brett back again coming this summer um, when we talk about fantasy, but also just the offseason moves. Um, But Jabron and Brett, thank you guys both for joining us today. We appreciate having you and your time. Always a pleasure, gentlemen. Uh, Looking forward to next season where hopefully the Pats will be more competitive. Uh, But for our one weekend, I'm going to be a very, uh, very supportive Bucks fan. So let's go Bucks. Let's go TB12. Let's get that seventh ring. Um, and Brett, it was great to hang out with you today and chat up. <laughs> Good stuff. And Brett, any final thoughts for you? Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Uh, okay, Jeff. Thank you once again for always being on the show and being a part of this team. Um, you know, we're wrapping up season two of Contested Catch Man. It's pretty cool. Uh, any final thoughts here before we part ways for part for season two? Uh, nope. Already gotten good head start on draft season, so we should be able to dive right into that pretty quickly. Good stuff. That's what I like to hear, my man. Alrighty. Well, thank you guys all for listening. Uh, you know, it's been 73 episodes in the making, but here we are. We're enjoying it. We're having a great time. We've got big plans for it the next season ahead, and we hope that everyone enjoys the Super Bowl has lucrative prop bets uh, and roots for the Bills again next year. So with that said, thank you guys for listening and we hope to catch you next time. What are we two minutes in and it's a complete disaster? (laughs) 
I'm sorry, but what a fucking idiot was Lil Uzi. <laughs> what the? F- what a fucking moron. Oh, dude, I just uh, stabbed myself in the head with a fucking 24 million. I'm sorry. Like, I only liked two songs to begin with. It's off. Deleted from my entire Spotify. I can't do it because it's gluten-free and it's no good. (laughs) (laughs) My tummy can't handle it. (laughs) Oh, leave Brett's tummy alone. It's sensitive. (laughs) Any random place in the podcast, preferably when I'm not on to... uh, to include this yeah so kaz is a bitch (laughs) (laughs) i'll just splice that in at the end put it anyway (laughs) oh that's awesome okay we needed to get some kaz slander Um, put it it right 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 after the intro (laughs) like right right before like as the intro music ends and before your starts yeah so kaz is a bitch Instead of welcome to contestant catch, you go, yeah, it's okay, this is a bitch.